Hello and welcome. You are listening to Embodied Curiosity. In this show, we will explore self-compassion and holistic health through the lens of embodiment, intuition, nature connection, and neuroscience. I'm your host, Michaela, and I'm so excited for you to join me. Hey, welcome back. I have been rereading one of my favorite books, Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. This book has been so impactful in my life, and I wanted to share my thoughts and insights as I read through each chapter. This is set up sort of like a virtual book group, so feel free to get a copy of the book and follow along with me. I also uploaded video versions of these episodes on my YouTube channel. You can find my channel by just searching my name, Michaela Rands, or you can click the link in the description. I hope you gain some insights as I share my process with the stories in this powerful little book. Hey, welcome back. (laughs) Sorry, it's been a little while, a few months since I posted a chapter and um, an update. been going through a lot of big changes. Um, Most notably, I went through a really big move recently and I'm here now at the new place that I live. There's abundant nature. I'm really grateful for that. And just so you know, the weather is very temperamental right now. So even though it feels really good to be outside, uh, it might start raining really loud. So I'm just warning you. But I want to just jump in and discuss the next chapter in Women Who Run With The Wolves. And uh, if you've been following along, I'm on chapter five. And if you haven't, um, please go back and watch or listen to the other chapters uh, because I think they really build up to this one. Um, But this one as a standalone is also really powerful. And yeah, I actually posted a a video of me. I felt super inspired on New Year's to record uh, a video of me just telling the the tale. Um, to be honest, I've tried to record uh, my insights and summaries of this chapter, I think three or four times now over the last couple months. And yeah, I've just always ended with a lot of confusion and frustration. And it is a really hard story to summarize because the way that is told in the book, the way that she tells it is just so powerful. So I, I really wanted to actually just read the story, how it's, how it's spoken in the book. And so if you want to see that, go ahead and check out that video um, on my channel. And... I will probably give you a quick summary right now in case you haven't seen it. So basically we're on chapter five. It's called hunting when the heart is a lonely hunter. And the main story that this chapter centers around is called the skeleton woman. And uh, the subtitle is facing the life, death, life, nature of love. So if you've watched any of my other videos, you've probably heard me talk a little bit about the life, death, life, nature it's pretty much synonymous with the wild woman archetype Um, so it tends to be like a a female archetype an older like crone character that 
births new life, but also brings death to things that need to die and to go. So we've talked a little bit about that in some of the other chapters, just like knowing when it is time for something to die and when it's time for something to be born. And this chapter is no exception. This chapter focuses on relationships and specifically what comes up for me, and I think it's pretty explicit if you read the chapter, is it's really about romantic relationships like partnerships, marriage, um, commitment, all of those big juicy (laughs) topics within that. And I think part of the reason I had such a hard time, I am having such a hard time recording this or summarizing it is because every time I read this story for real, it is a completely different message for me and interpretation. And it really just depends on where you are in your life with your relationships. So (laughs) it's really, it's a really tricky story to pin down. There also has been times where this, where this chapter really triggers me or like feels yucky to me. And um, that's been something to explore and to lean into with curiosity. Um, because the topic of relationships is really touchy and really complex. You know, it's a little bit more um, dynamic than some other topics because there's a whole nother person involved and um, you're really playing with an energy that's completely out of your control. And so, yeah, the topic of commitment is really big. Um, The story of the skeleton woman could describe a lot of different things. Actually, this, this last time I read it, I was thinking about like, other things in my life that um, that feel similar that aren't relationships, you know, other things that you need to kind of lean into or let go of. But I'll just try and summarize the story. So basically, um, the story starts with a tale of a, a daughter whose father throws her into the ocean. Um, No one really knows why, but she's in trouble and she's thrown into the ocean. So she lies dead at the bottom of the ocean. Um, And anyway, many years later, uh, this fisherman who's kind of seen as like naive is going to this place where she was thrown over. He notices that there's not that many other fishermen around, uh, but he doesn't really think much of it. He doesn't realize that maybe other fishermen think this is a haunted area or cove Um, and it happens to be yeah where where a skeleton woman lays underneath um, at the bottom of the sea so he's he's fishing and he's really excited he's really hoping he catches a big one he's he's imagining and fantasizing about all the people he will feed with this really big fish and then he catches something on his line and of course we know from the story that it's the skeleton woman Um, but he doesn't know that at first so he's he's hard at work pulling up what feels like a really big fish and um, eventually surfaces the skeleton woman and he sees this skeleton and he he screams he's terrified he runs he he tries to paddle away as fast as he can but she's caught in his line and she's being pulled along Um, (laughs) he finally gets to shore and he's still running he feels like the skeleton woman is chasing her but he's but she's actually just caught up in his line so he's running 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 Um, there's a couple different parts of the story that you can hear if you go watch the story but basically he ends up getting to his home and jumping in um, hiding in there and of course 
she's tangled up in his line, so she's right behind him. And I don't think he realizes that he's dragging her along, but as he looks up, he sees that there's a pile of bones right there inside of his house with him. <laughs> so anyway, the story kind of t changes tune at that point. He calms himself down, he's in his home, he kind of sees the this pile of bones for the first time with a little bit of um, compassion and sympathy and maybe pity and he starts to untangle the bones and he, he is able to completely untangle them into what looks like a skeleton. Um, so that's a beautiful part of the story uh, because he's yeah not as scared <laughs> and he's actually just paying attention and, and untangling those bones and as you'll see these all represent um, really momentous um, aspects of this process, this journey of untangling the skeleton woman and understanding um, the meaning of this archetype. Uh, so later, you know, he makes a fire and he eventually falls asleep, showing, you know, that he feels a lot of trust for this skeleton creature now next to him. And in his dreams, um, we don't really know why, but he, he ends up shedding a tear um, in his sleep from something he's dreaming about and the skeleton woman sees the tear and is very very thirsty for this tear and drinks it up and the skeleton woman then takes his heart and he she beats it like a drum uh, she sings and sings and as she's beating his heart like a drum after drinking his tear she uh, fleshes out her her skeleton body and becomes a woman again so that's my attempt at a summary. It's a really hard one to summarize. So d again, I recommend listening to the story or if you have the book, um, reading reading the story, it's, it's super good. She goes on to basically break it down into the seven tasks that teach one soul to love another deeply and well. So I'll, I'll go through each of those. The first task is the accidental finding of treasure. So as he's fishing in this bay, um, he's trying to find a fish, but instead he finds this, this skeleton, which is, we'll see is the treasure. Um, the second uh, task is the chase and the hiding, um, a time for hopes and fears for both. The third task is the untangling of the skeleton, developing compassion for the task. The fourth task is the sleep of trust. The fifth task is the giving of the tear. The seventh, or sorry, the sixth task is heart as drum and singing up. And the last and final seventh task is the dance of body and soul. So each of these is part of the story and something that really struck me, because, you know, when you first read the story, there's a lot of um, obviously gendering. I mean, in general, in this book, there's a lot of gendering. Um, there's like the female archetype and the male archetype. But one way that helped me understand this story is to think about the fisherman as both the male and female or whoever the two partners are, even if they're the same gender. So thinking about each partner bringing their whole soul, which is represented by the fisherman, and the skeleton woman isn't the other partner necessarily. Um, it could be representing... Um, an aspect of your own psyche that needs to be faced that when in relationship the the skeleton woman is brought up so for example you know running from the skeleton woman doesn't necessarily mean that you're running from your partner it might even feel like that but what she's trying to say is that running from the skeleton woman is actually running from a part of yourself um, 
a, a shadow aspect, an unintegrated part, an ugly part, a part that you don't like to see or you don't want to be seen. Um, so that's something I want to point out in, right at the get-go is that that has really shifted my understanding of this story to think about it as I am the fisherman in my own story. And the partner, in this case, my partner, is his own fisherman, and we're both facing the skeleton woman <laughs> through this story. So the question is, what is this um, skeleton woman represent, and what is it that we're afraid of? And the biggest thing that kind of stands out to me is the idea of death, like death in general, which seems weird that we would be thinking about death in terms of relationships, um, because usually it's just like a fun fling, you know, you meet someone, you like them, they like you. So what does this have to do with death? And that's where it goes really deep. So I'm going to read another quote. Much of the knowledge of the life, death, life nature is contaminated by our fear of death. Therefore, our abilities to move with the cycles of this nature are quite frail. These forces do not do something to us. They are not thieves who rob us of the things we cherish. This nature is not a hit and run driver who smashes what we value. No. The life-death-life forces are part of our own nature, part of an inner authority that knows the steps, knows the dance of life and death. It is composed of the aspects of ourselves who know when something can, should, and must be born, and when it must die. It is a deep teacher if we can only learn its tempo. So as you can see here, we're going again into that theme of what must die. So it's not really about physical death as much as it is about letting things that you're attached to, things that you cherish, um, maybe like the honeymoon period or your idea of someone when you first met them and then as that shifts, right? When you first meet someone, just like in the story, you might feel really excited um, about the idea of catching this really big fish and feeding all of the people, right? Again, it's a metaphor. You might be excited for this partner that you can show off to your friends, whatever. So, but then, you know, soon enough, it doesn't take long, you start to see the imperfections and the illusions um, dissolve that you had about this person. And yeah, it happens pretty quickly. So that, that's a really big part of this story is that some people have a hard time. Um, if you're not ready for a relationship, then you're not ready to, to see and have compassion and love for the weaknesses in both yourself and in your partner. We pretend we can love without our illusions about love dying. Pretend we can go on without our superficial expectations dying. Pretend we can progress and that our favorite flushes and rushes will never die. But in love, psychically, everything becomes picked apart. Everything. The ego does not want it to be so. Yet it is how it is meant to be and the person of a deep, wildish nature is undeniably drawn to this task. What dies? Illusion dies. Expectations die. Greed for having it all, for wanting to have all be beautiful only. All of this dies because love always causes a descent into the death nature. We can see why it takes abundant self-power and soulfulness to make that commitment. When one commits to love, one also commits to the revivication of the essence of the skeleton woman and all of her teachings. And here's another one that I thought really illustrated um, her point really beautifully. What is the not beautiful? Our own secret hunger to be loved is the not beautiful. 
Our disuse and misuse of love is the not beautiful. Our dereliction in loyalty and devotion is unlovely. Our sense of soul separateness is homely. Our psychological warts, inadequacies, misunderstandings, and infantile fantasies are the not beautiful. Additionally, the life-death-life nature, which births, destroys, incubates, and births again, is considered by our cultures to be not beautiful. So these are just some more concrete examples of the types of things that will come out as a loving relationship, a romantic relationship progresses. And like I said before, this chapter has so much gold in it, and I'm just not going to do it justice, to be honest. Um, But I just wanted to touch on some of more insights that I had. I think going through the seven tasks, um, she actually goes through and explains pages and pages for each task. And I found that to be super powerful. Each of the different symbols, um, the tear, using the drum, singing up dance of body and soul, just the idea of dancing and knowing the steps and how dancing with another person is such an amazing metaphor for this, for this process, this process of being in relationship, but also this process of getting to know the part of yourself that is related to the skeleton woman and the life, death, life, nature. Something that uh, at first I found difficult about this chapter and about this topic is is commitment. It's really funny because <laughs> if you know me, um, I've been in basically just a couple really long committed relationships. So I, I appear from the outside to have no problem with commitment. <laughs> um, but it's, it's interesting because at least I, I identify or perceive myself as having that struggle and, and almost in an attempt to overcome it, I've kind of fallen <laughs> really far the other way and really taking this on in this lifetime as a practice. It's almost like a past version of me or a younger version of me at least perceived myself as someone who um, was a little bit flaky and just would would (laughs) jump from one person to the next and fall in love so easily with people. This is all very true of me and I, I really relate to the fisherman in that way. It's like it's it's so exciting to fall in love for the first time and it's such a beautiful um, process and energy and and then it gets scary and then you have to like really (laughs) deal with another person and like there's levels right like being together hanging out a lot that's one level but then it starts to really get more intense as you move into like obviously moving in together and um, as many years go by like you just can't avoid facing everything that they also have to face like you're really in it together you're on this boat and you can't get off you're just going for it so commitment is is a little scary like I have a kind of a strained relationship with the idea of marriage for example because I just can't at this point you know again I'm open to this changing but at this point I feel like how will I know if I want to be with the same person for the rest of my life. Like how, how can I predict how I'm going to feel about this in 10 years, um, in 20 years, you know, even in five years and, and how can I allow myself space and freedom to change and to try on new identities and, um, change my perspective and for the other person to change, how can, how can I create a container that allows that, freedom (laughs) while still you know being committed and so that's been 
that's been the kind of the challenge and also what I've taken on because that is kind of what I've created in my relationships is uh, yeah just always striving for more um, acceptance and freedom of each individual um, <laughs> but ultimately you know there's always the question especially like in my circles and in my social media world there's a lot of talk about I guess you would use the word like manifestation or um, yeah dreaming big and like having high standards and um, if it's not a hell yes it's a no like these these ideas I really resonate with and I want to work on like having boundaries and knowing what I really want and really going for it, having desires and um, dreaming up a reality, a future reality that sounds amazing. Um, but this chapter feels like the antithesis to that. This chapter feels like, you know, when something is hard and it doesn't feel like a hell yes, <laughs> what do you do? And I would say that in this chapter and in this book in general it seems that the suggestion the slight suggestion or leaning is towards um, staying staying even when it's hard staying even when it's painful or when it feels like a no um, staying when it violates <laughs> when it feels like it's violating your desires and your needs you know and that's really hard I don't really have an answer for this so that's why I just wanted to come on here and just tell you that um, my insights are I, <laughs> I'm still really stuck on this topic and I I think there's some kind of magic like if I ever believed in magic it would be related to relationships because yeah when you meet someone it's just like almost always you could have never expected it. It always blindsides you. And then <laughs> whether or not it works is always just like there's so many nuances and factors at play that there's just like no way to predict um, if that relationship is going to work out. And sometimes, you know, someone has all the things you think you want, but there just isn't um, you don't really just feel it in your heart or in your soul that it's the right thing and so it's just really hard and confusing and this chapter hmm, has it given me more clarity yes it's definitely helped me think more deeply about the whole process of especially starting a relationship like I would recommend if you're in the first let's say year of a relationship this chapter is going to bring up a lot for you and a lot of hopefully insights um, but I, I guess my only caution would be in, in one of the triggering parts is like if you are in an abusive relationship or where it's like physically abusive verbally abusive um, where you're really unhappy a um, large majority of the time then I would say that's where leaning into commitment is maybe not the best and that's what's so tricky about this chapter is she doesn't really address that so but I do agree that a lot of people do run away from relationships um, right at the moment they start to feel hard because they think like, oh, if it doesn't feel good, then it's not right. And I definitely would agree that in my experience, um, there are definitely times in my relationships, my current relationship, where it doesn't feel good and maybe even for a longer period of time. Um, but I can say right in this moment, and I've said this many times throughout the relationship, that once that time passes, um, 
there is a strengthening and a deepening and a and so much learning and so much growth um, that I experience and my partner experiences because we leaned into that and because we didn't run away and in this moment it feels like wow like I am so grateful that I stayed and that I leaned in um, even when maybe everything inside of me told me to run and she she brings that up in the chapter too like what do you do when everything in you tells you to run and that's what's so hard is because she also advocates listening to your intuition so that's why I'm not really sure where I stand on this topic Um, but I would say in most instances whether it's like um, your career or what you want to do with like your health or (laughs) there's so many topics right friendships community there's all these topics where where we're listening to your intuition is really important and for calling in your desires and having everything you've ever wanted. Um, but with relationships, it's really hard because yes, you should call in your desire. You should consider where your standards are, where your boundaries are. Um, what is a red flag? What is a deal breaker? These are all things that are important to consider, but ultimately I don't know the answer to this question, but ultimately, is there always going to be a time when it feels like a no and you just have to stay and then that changes back to a yes? That's, <laughs> that's the puzzle. So I don't know. I would love to hear some thoughts. I have a bunch of questions for this one um, that I'll, I'll share down in the comments, um, but I'm going to read them out. They're actually directly from the book. Um, so I will read those now and then please, please, please help me (laughs) tease this chapter apart. So the first question is, what must I give more death to today in order to generate more life? (sighs) So this question, again, could apply to so many things. um, So many things. Like I could give more death to how much time I spend on my screen. (laughs) You know, I could give more death to like all of the millions of project ideas that I want that I think I'm going to do or hobbies that I see myself doing but if I were to focus on my relationship what would I what must I give more death to today in order to generate more life I think it's constantly about for me giving more death to my expectations of my partner being something he's not my expectations of my partner staying the same like allowing, just constantly allowing um, those expectations and those illusions to die and to fall away. What, uh, sorry, number two, <laughs> what do I know should die, but I'm hesitant to allow to do so? This question's really similar to the first one, so I might not even add an answer because, yeah, it is, there's definitely like a hesitancy to letting things die always. It's always hard and I don't know if that's the culture or if that's my personality or if you guys can relate to that I don't know so what what do I know should die but I'm hesitant to allow it to do so um, in my own personal life this actually has nothing to do with relationships but I'm I am definitely going through some deep deep identity I don't want to call it a crisis because I feel like I'm aware of what's happening and I feel okay about it but it's still hard which is just like these things that I've identified myself as that are no longer true and it's as simple as like I you know I thought I was a vata dosha and now I'm like becoming more of a pitta dosha so there's just little things 
that are shifting in my own world and my identity that I am hesitant to allow to die because um, I got to know who I was so well. So, but that can definitely apply to partnership. Um, all right, this one's just another follow-up to those two, which is what must die in me in order for me to love? So I'm not even going to add an answer to that. I think, I think I've already answered that. Uh, okay, a couple more just on the not beauty aspect. What not beauty do I fear? Mm. <sighs> for me in relationships, it's been hard because I feel like if you've ever learned about um, attachment theory, uh, I have, I've kind of gone back and forth where in some ways I have, I definitely have some secure attachment, but I have both avoidant and anxious on different occasions with different I guess, interactions. And so those are both parts that feel not beautiful to me. Like when I feel, um, when I feel distant and I push someone away and I resent them and I create, um, hateful stories about them, um, that is my avoidant showing up. That's not my highest self. That's not my, the, the self that I know as like a compassionate, loving person. And also on the other end, when I cling and when I need, and when I, when I can't, you know, allow to be, um, that's another not beauty that I fear. Um, I'm going to leave you with the last one of what use is the power of the not beautiful to me today. Thank you for listening to Embodied Curiosity. I hope you picked up some valuable insights to inspire you to stay curious and embodied.